0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The government has finally ended its controversial robo-debt welfare scheme with a $1.2 billion settlement to victims. But the warning signs were there from the beginning. As far back as 2011, the High Court was sounding alarms about the system that would become robo-debt. Today, senior reporter for The Saturday Paper, Rick Morton, on who knew what and when. Rick, I feel almost guilty for asking this as a first question, but what is this story actually about?
1: Well, um, that's a great question to start off with. I mean, it is about two court cases in the High Court of Australia um, and two massive legal precedents affecting the federal government. But really, this is a question about the legality of robo debt and how much the government and government departments should have known about the, uh, the legal tightrope they were walking when it came to welfare compliance um, because these two court cases went directly to that question.
0: So it's kind of an origin story, the origins of RoboDebt?
1: Yeah, I guess it's kind of like a like a Marvel comic book origins of the supervillain in in a way. It's kind of like how we got to this point. And it's actually very telling on a number of levels. It tells us quite a lot about the origins of RoboDebt when, when the Coalition come to power.
0: OK, so it sounds like it starts with these two court cases. Can you tell me the, the details? Why did the High Court rule the way that it did?
1: So the the real brief overview is that there's two cases. There's a case called Poniatowska in the High Court in 2011. This is the original case.
2: Adelaide woman Malgozata Poniatowska had her convictions for Centrelink fraud overturned earlier this month on appeal. Essentially,
1: what was happening at the time, it had been happening since the Howard government days, but under the Labor government, it had actually ramped up. So what they were doing was going through, um, as they typically do with all of this data, finding out people who had been overpaid welfare. And in these cases, it was because, allegedly, they hadn't been updating their their income or extra income with Centrelink. And so it resulted in an overpayment.
2: Successive Australian governments have recognised that some people will attempt to receive payments to which they are not entitled.
1: Centrelink had always been clear that you are required to update your information. But when it comes to criminal prosecutions and the convictions that followed... It turns out, and this is what the High Court found, that there wasn't actually a law explicitly requiring people to inform Centrelink that their income had
2: changed. It's necessary, therefore, that there are robust measures in place to ensure the integrity of the social security system.
1: And the government was caught out. And as they were doing this, Tanya Plibersek, who was the relevant minister at the time, introduced legislation and amendment into the parliament which got bipartisan support which would retrospectively change the legislation to give the government the power to compel this information and to turn it into an offence if you omit this information.
2: 15,000 convictions may now be open to question as a consequence of the decision in Poniatowska. To ensure the past convictions cannot be called into question, This bill amends the Administration Act to insert a standalone obligation for a person to inform the Department of events or changes of circumstances that might affect the payment of a Social Security payment.
1: This comes to the High Court in 2013, and the Court says, get out of here. You can't do it. In 2011, the federal government legislated to close a loophole in welfare fraud law and backdated the new law to the year 2000. The High Court has now
2: decided that prosecutors can't use the legislation retrospectively.
1: And so the government lost twice. And the reason they were so worried about it was because they had 15,000 convictions already over the last decade that were now unsound. And... That's an embarrassing place for the government to find themselves in. Mm
0: -hmm. And so, Rick, the link here, the the relevance to robo-debt, that's about these cases being raised by an automatic system.
1: Well, it's actually more about a broader legal point. The question about robo-debt then is, did they have the legal basis to do what they did in terms of automating the debt notices and the income averaging without all of the details about someone's employment income, which resulted in false debts,
0: Mm-hmm. And, Rick, do you mind just refreshing me on what RoboDebt actually is and what it meant functionally for how debts were, were raised and collected?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, key, the key driving force of RoboDebt was that they had all of this data from people that they just didn't have the administrative capacity to go through. What RoboDebt did was completely outsource the administrative burden of chasing that information to the people that they alleged had debts and told them, we think you've got a debt, it's now up to you to go and find out whether it is true or not. And if you can't go back seven years and find your employment records, we're going to average it. And that's why we now find ourselves in a position where 470,000 people potentially had debts raised that were never real.
0: And for those people who who were caught up in this system, the the impact was huge.
1: I mean, you're, you're talking about a population that is already up against it particularly for the people who were still on welfare when these debts were, were levied, they don't have any money. In most cases, they had no idea whether they actually had a debt or not and they, they couldn't tell you. But their experience with Centrelink, and I know this, unfortunately, from my own experience um, and watching my mum, the experience with Centrelink is that you cannot win, right? And so when they tell you that you have a debt, you kind of believe them. Even if you think or or feel like you know that you you surely couldn't have, what they say goes. And, you know, I was talking to um, Darren O'Donovan, who's a senior lecturer in law at La Trobe University and a kind of a specialist in administrative law, and he was saying that the, the kind of engine room of robo was fear. That's what drove the efficiency, because people were so afraid of being forced into even more penury. The mental health effects that come with that stress... That in many cases, they just paid up and entered into payment plans, which essentially garnished their wages, or their income support payments, and they lived in even tougher conditions because they were so afraid of the system. And the trauma and hurt that came off the back of that is, is so great, and it's so hard to measure, and I suspect it's far greater than we will ever know.
0: Mm. So that's where we ended up, Rick, at the end of the robo-debt saga. But I think the the big question when it comes to these high court cases is who knew that collecting these debts was illegal and, and when did they know that it was?
1: Precisely. And somebody somewhere should have said something. And what matters now and what people need to know so that this never happens again is... If they did say something, why was it ignored? And if they didn't, was it deliberate?
0: We'll be back after this. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters.
1: The City of London in Andrew O'Hagan's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end, not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Rick, there have been warnings throughout about the legal issues with robo-debt, and I wanted to pick up on one figure who you've written about, Terry Carney. Can you tell me about him?
1: Yeah, so Terry Carney's been, uh, well, he was essentially a lifetime member of the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, and he's covered more social security cases in that tribunal than most people alive in Australia today he was one of the members who was sitting, as he normally does, in the tribunal when a robodeck case came before him in 2017. And he was one of the first, if, if not the first, voice to look through the social security law in massive detail as it pertained to this particular person in this case. And he, he said to me on the phone, I actually thought I was wrong. I thought, you know, I
3: must have been overlooking something.
1: And... Like, I was looking through all of this going, this is illegal. In fact, the term he used was unlawful in the decision. um, But he thought that he must have been missing something because it was so blatant. In in ordinary
3: practice. And I thought there must have been something, you know, that that somehow
1: gave them a leg to stand on, and of course they didn't have it. And he read the legislation, he read all of the the guidebooks and the handbooks, and he realised that he wasn't missing anything.
0: And so what happened to him after that decision?
1: So he makes that decision in uh, kind of middle of 2017. Five months later, after serving for years and years and years on the Administrative Tribunal, his contract is not renewed. And it's uh, sort of, you know, with a wink and a nod, it's because of that decision. And um, that was certainly the suggestion that he was given.
3: Turns out I, I wasn't alone. I, I didn't know that um, in Victoria, at around the same time, there were you know similar rulings by um, Treble, uh, another oh, member yes. who wasn't uh, you know wasn't wasn't reappointed. <laughs> Mere coincidence.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, what did Carney say to you about those two high court decisions that you've been looking into, Rick? The the cases from before RoboDebt that found that the way the government was prosecuting welfare debts was illegal.
1: So he's a smart guy, right? And he's saying the legal principles involved are not the same um, in terms of the, the actual sections of the law. But what it does illustrate, and this is kind of the point I'm trying to make, is that there has been an erosion of administrative oversight in what is now Services Australia, formerly the Department of Human Services, within the federal government at large and within the Department of Social Services over many years.
3: The real issue is this steady degradation of adherence by public servants. Who, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for the position they're now in. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't be still doing the right thing. and...
1: And for people within that system to not recognise that those High Court cases ought to have been flagged as a warning sign about any further tinkering with welfare compliance unless you're really sure that what you're doing is legal, um, is a massive abrogation of their duty. And it's um, a complete failure of governance.
3: But, you know, it's it's they and more so ministers who now just uh, skate around uh, and don't ever accept any consequence or responsibility, uh, you know, for anything.
0: Rick, you've been reporting on problems within this system for a long time now, and I'm wondering if, if you know what, what this scheme was about, whether robo-debt was about efficiency, as the government says, or if it was about punishing people, especially poor people.
1: Well, I actually asked Terry Carney that exact question, and he said it was both. What we do know about this scheme is that it was incredibly cruel, and it hurt people. It hurt poor people, um, people that the government has a duty of care to protect and that is a that is a fact and that is uh, evidence that is out there in the public domain and it was an incredibly cruel scheme
0: mm. and as well as cruel i mean we we know now that it was illegal but should the government have known that much earlier should it have known for at least a decade back when these first high court cases were were ruled on that that the whole thing could be illegal
1: i'm going to let you in on a little secret they knew they knew it was illegal question is precisely what did they know and when. But they knew in their bones that what they were doing was wrong because the old system told them it was wrong. It said that you can't do this unless you can be sure the debt is true. Like if the, if the debt doesn't exist then you are acting unlawfully. When the deliberations came for RoboDebt they had risk assessments they had uh, evidence within their own operational guidebooks that you had to check that debts were lawful and you had the the bruising experience from these two high court cases that told them you need to know 100% that what you're doing has a legal basis and they didn't follow any of these things and I've looked at it all and there is no case that can be made no case That people within, important people, decision makers within the department, did not know about uh, the legal shonkiness of what they were doing with RoboDebt. No case to be made at all.
0: Rick, thank you so much for speaking to me about this today. Thanks, Ruby. This year, The Saturday Paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. Subscribe now at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. Also in the news today... Australia's COVID-19 vaccination program began ahead of schedule yesterday with the Prime Minister, aged care residents and frontline staff among the first to be vaccinated. And the Victorian government has announced a $143 million support package to assist businesses impacted by the state's five-day lockdown. The government said a total of 50,000 businesses would be assisted in industries including events, the arts, tourism and hospitality.